chapter 31. We'll be picking up at verse 1. We'll be going to verse 9 tonight. Next time we will more than likely, I can't imagine taking two studies in the remainder of the chapter, we'll be finishing Proverbs and we will be moving on to Leviticus. Somebody always has something to say about that. I'm kind of excited about going there. Proverbs chapter 31, verse 1, the words of King Lemuel, the utterance which his mother taught him. What, my son, and what, son of my womb, and what, son of my vows? Do not give your strength to women, nor your ways to that which destroys kings. Is it not for kings, O Lemuel? Is it not for kings to drink wine, nor for princes intoxicating drink? Lest they drink and forget the law and pervert the justice of all the afflicted. Give strong drink to him who is perishing in wine to those who are bitter of heart. Let him drink and forget his poverty and remember his misery no more. Open your mouth for the speechless in the cause of all who are appointed to die. Open your mouth, judge righteously, and plead the cause of the poor and the needy. Up to this point in Proverbs, mom's pretty much been in the background. Now, ladies, you're going to have to listen to what I have to say and hear me out on some of these things, because some of them are going to kind of sound a little strong towards women, but you'll see where I'm going with it as I come back. So just so you know, nobody's allowed to throw anything at the pulpit. And this is all on video, okay? But anyway, here's mom. Mom has been in the background up until now. Now, when I say she's been in the background, she probably hasn't been totally in the background. Because what we've seen many times is the example of a wise father giving his son sound advice. And behind every wise man is a dedicated woman. And I would imagine it was the woman who was the wife, the mother, who was pushing this man forward. I don't mean that in a bad way, as I said. But who was inspiring this man to minister to the, minister to the son. Now it's as if this young man stands at the door, all set to go. Dad has given him his wisdom, and Mom, Mom's got some final words to say. The most respected woman in a kingdom would be a young man's mother. And so this woman is obviously the mother of the king. This woman, who is about to see her sons set out and move forward, has a few things on her heart to be spoken of from her heart. What is her motivation? Well, her motivation. Her motivation, we saw that last Mother's Day as we looked at the acronym for love, L-O-V-E. We saw love as L as in long-suffering. Long-suffering, mom suffers long for all of her children. King, she knows the work of king is going to be great. And it's very possible, we'll get into this a little bit, that this king is probably the king of one of the most powerful nations of the country at a time. And just as he's feeling overwhelmed, she's probably feeling overwhelmed for her son as well. John 15, 13 says, Greater love has no one than this, than he would lay down his life for his friends. And apart from Christ laying down his life for us, what greater example is there of motherhood? Oh, as in others orientated. Mary got the news, Luke chapter 2, verse 35. Yes, a sword will pierce through your own soul also that the thoughts of many hearts may be revealed. Now we understand and we know, he's speaking of the death of that little baby at the time when Mary and Joseph were in the temple dedicating Jesus to the Lord. He had just been circumcised. See, all of our children, we all know, if you're a parent or any length of time, 
they're all going to have some sort of sword issue. Sword issue, that which feels like it's driving a sword right through your heart. It's that which pierces your soul. V as in virtuous. This is a strong desire for holiness in this man's life. And how much more so a man who's going to be representing the nation. And then E, E as in emotion. Genesis 1.27, so God created man, mankind, in his own image. In the image of God, he created him, male and female, he created them. I'm kind of even keeled in our family, and I, maybe I should say in our relationship, and I say in our relationship, my wife and myself, our relationship, because not all relationships are exactly the same. I'm a little bit more even keeled. She's a little bit more emotional, and it's a good thing. We offset, but we also complement one another. And so, mom, generally speaking, a little bit more emotional. Dad's given sound advice. She's going to give sound advice that's just a little bit more applicable. So before we finish this book of wisdom, the book of Proverbs, we see the wisdom, wisdom of a mother, and we see how invaluable it is. The ministry of a mom, definitely invaluable, because I did a survey before service tonight, and I found out that, well, out of every ten people that I surveyed, or the ten people that I surveyed, every one of them came from a mother. It's just the way it is. We've all come from mom. And to display the importance of motherhood, well, it's the avenue that the Lord took to come to us. In Luke chapter 1, verse 28 through 35, now in the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent by God to the city of Galilee named Nazareth to a virgin betrothed to a man whose name was Joseph of the house of David, and the virgin's name was Mary. And having come in, the angel said to him, Rejoice, highly favored one, the Lord is with you. Blessed are you among women. And when, he saw him, when she saw him, she was troubled at his saying and considered what manner of greeting this was. Then the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bring forth a son and shall call his name Jesus. He will be great and be called the Son of the Highest, and the Lord God will give him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever in his kingdom. And of his kingdom there will be no end. And so Mary, yeah, she, she was impregnated as a virgin, no doubt about that. It was a virgin conception. But as far as the birth, the birth went as they all do. I'm sure there was the, the pain, but I'm also sure there was the joy Jesus was delivered as everybody else was delivered. Also, God uses it as the perfect example of his love towards us. In Isaiah chapter 49, verse 15, Can a woman forget her nursing child and not have compassion on the son of her womb? Surely they may forget, yet I will not forget. And so he's saying, even if a mother, you know, the love that she has, God is saying, my love is even greater than that. The Apostle Paul saw the importance of mom's ministry and the manifestation of it through his ministry in 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, verses 7 and 8. It says, But we were gentle among you, just as a nursing mother cherishes her own children. So affectionately longing for you, we were well pleased to impart to you not only the gospel of God, but also our own lives, because you have become dear to us. He considered it the necessity of a minister to be gentle, cherishing, affectionate, and longing. Jesus said in Matthew chapter 23, verse 37, when he saw the children of 
Jerusalem and how they were going to reject him. He said, O Jerusalem, Jerusalem, the one who kills the prophets and stones those who are sent to her. How often I wanted to gather your children together as a hen gathers her chicks under her wings, but you were not willing. And so we see the little bit of a broken heart of a mother in the ministry of Christ as well. So tonight's section of Scripture shows us the influence that a mother is able to have in her child's life. And so we really need to, as we look at this, we will, see it from the perspective of a mom, but also see it from the perspective of a son, a son who is to receive of the wisdom that his mother has, the practical advice. So the first question question to ask is, who are these people? Verse 1, the words of King Lemuel, the utterance which his mother taught him. We are not told anywhere specifically who these people are. But generally speaking, most scholars, and I believe it as well, but most scholars believe that this is Bathsheba instructing her son Solomon. Why would she call him Lemuel? Well, what do you call your children? You probably call your children a variety of names. We won't get into the bad ones, but you probably have affectionate nicknames that you have for your children. In my house, there was four children, and there were four nicknames. We called Jamie, which there's, none of them are here tonight. Jamie's in New York, so I can safely say these things. We called Jamie the worm. I don't really remember exactly. I know, it's kind of funny, but that's what we called her. Kelly, we called Wiggle Bear. Chelsea, we called Motorboat, because when she was in her crib, she would kind of motor around. We called her Motorboat. And then Sean, next time you see him, you can remind him of this. We called him Mr. Lips. <laughs> So you can see how the mother of this king would want her son, well, I could call her son by a nickname, Lemuel. What is the nickname? Well, the word Lemuel means for God. And so she can affectionately be calling him a young man for God. And so we have nowhere in the scriptures that a king Lemuel is mentioned. It would have to be some sort of foreign king And it seems to be a Hebrew name. So again, it's probably a nickname that is used for him. She could be preparing him for the king, uh, for sitting in the palace. Or maybe he is just in the palace at this time. But regardless, what we're seeing herein, again, is the wisdom of a mother. Now, we're going to look at this and we're going to see how it's going to make a lot of sense that this would be Solomon and a lot of sense that this would be Bathsheba. So in verses 2 through 9, we're going to see how a godly mother seeks to influence her son for God, that truly he would be a young man for God. Now when she says, what, my son, and what, son of my womb, and what, son of my vows, she's saying, what am I saying to you, or listen to what I am saying to you. She's thinking, since I'm no longer going to be having daily influence over you, that well, I want, I've got these few final parting words that I, I, I want you to hear, I want you to listen to. And more than likely, they've came from her experience because the greatest advice that we can give as parents is from our experience. Both the failures, which she'll be speaking from, and maybe even the failures of others that she has noticed, but she's understanding that, and again, we have to have that proper perspective of our children They're not perfect. They're not perfect. And in the flesh, they're doomed to failure. They're doomed to failure in the Lord's eyes in their flesh. 
And so what is the greatest? I've got four children. What is the greatest threat to my children's walk with Christ? Their flesh. More than the devil, more than the world, the thing that I pray for and the thing that most concerns me is their flesh. And you'll see here with Bathsheba or whoever the king's mom is here that she's concerned about his flesh. She knows that this could drag him down, and if it drags him down, it can drag the whole kingdom down. So the first thing that she says is, watch out for women, because you know how bad women can be. Watch out for women. Now, she's not saying watch out for all women, but just women who have bad intentions. Verses 2 and 3. What, my son, and what son of my womb, and what son of my vows? Do not give your strength to women, nor your ways to that which destroys kings. Now, again, it's why I really put Bathsheba in the place of this mother, and if it's Bathsheba, then it's definitely Solomon, because Bathsheba would speak from experience. Bathsheba would even speak from her failures, because she knows how a woman can be. And again, I'm taking this to a bad example. I'm not saying all women are like that, so don't throw anything. Um, but she understands because she was like that. She was like that. In Second Samuel chapter 11, verse 2, Then it happened one evening that David arose from his bed and walked on the roof of the king's house. And from the roof he saw a woman bathing, and the woman was very beautiful to behold. And so you can look at David, and the Bible pretty much does because the man is to be held accountable, especially when you're king. David, what were you doing on that roof looking at that woman taking that bath? But then you could ask Bathsheba. Bathsheba, why were you taking a bath underneath the king's roof? I mean, he was just, it was kind of tiered, and he was right there. It was kind of obvious that who's ever up there was going to be able to look. So, you know, it takes two to tangle. And I would imagine that Bathsheba had some ulterior motives than just getting clean that day. I don't know, is she worried about how crafty women can be or how stupid a man can be when he sees a crafty woman? But she does know that she was just as responsible as King David was for the death of her first husband. Or maybe it's a little stronger than that, the murder of her first husband. If you don't know the story, David went on to impregnate her. She was the wife of another man, Uriah the Hittite. Uriah the Hittite was a general in David's army, and he had him put to the front of the lines and told his commanding general when the battle got really hot to pull back and allow the enemy to kill him, and he did. And so that was going to be David's out from this, because Uriah the Hittite knew that he did not impregnate his wife, but David was going to say that he did, and he was just working out a scheme, those things that we do when we're find ourselves caught in our sins. So she was just as responsible that David was for the murder of her husband. And then if you'd read a little bit further in chapter 12 of 2 Sam, you would see that God took their first child because of that. And so just as David knew that he was responsible for the death of that first child, Bathsheba understood that she was just as responsible as well. Because of the decisions that I made, and this is a reality in parents' lives, doesn't always result in death, but just because I... I, I was irresponsible in my life. It cost the life of my child. And I can imagine the burden that that must have been. So she knows how a woman with certain motivations can be when it comes to a powerful man. And, well, she, she wants her son to not go that way. She's not wanting her son to go through the same things that she has gone through. And then she says, verse 3, Do not give your strength to women. 
What is the strength of a king? Well, if this is Israel, Lemuel is a Hebrew word. If this is Israel, the strength of the king is God. And how do you give up your strength before God? It's through disobedience or simply just through sin. And so a good wife will not manipulate. She will not push her husband, but she will inspire her husband. And so she's saying, you know, if there's a manipulating woman, don't give up your strength. Don't sacrifice the blessings of God upon your life and through your life into your ministry just for something that is going to be so fleeting and in the end just isn't going to be worth it. It's not going to be worth the lives that it's going to cost. And so she's wanting him to understand these things because she has lived these things and she knows that it's going to take all of this young man's dedication to God in order to see this country be all that it can be. Even worse, she knows that a woman with a personal agenda is going to weaken her husband. The lust of the flesh will always hinder the strength of the spirit. The spirit is always stronger than the flesh, but when you allow the flesh in, it will always hinder the strength of the spirit, whether if you're a man or a woman. And if you think about that, and I would imagine Bathsheba had to wonder, because if this is truly Bathsheba, it's at the end of David's life. And so she's able to look at the totality of David's life and she has to wonder, if I didn't enter into his life, how much greater of a king would he have been? How much greater of a nation would Israel have been if I didn't come into his life? Because when we were studying 2 Samuel, we saw how these things played out. Because just as dad David did, so his sons did as well. And we saw how his sons were just going in a horrible way. And a lot of the things that David did, his sons did. And you saw their sins and Absalom and his his eldest son, whose name escapes me right now, that he raped his sister and then Absalom manipulated the situation, tried to take over the kingdom, and David just had a mess on his hands. And Bathsheba experienced all that. And at times you can wonder, you look at your family and think, what in the world's going on? And sometimes you've got to look here first. You've got to look at your heart and your soul first. Am I, well, have I given of the strength of myself and the strength of this family? Have I given it up for feelings of the flesh? And so a wife, a wife needs to consider how and in what direction she inspires her husband. A young man needs to consider the motives of a woman. And that's what she's encouraging him to. Because God's got a wife for him. It seems to be Abishag this one woman, but David, well, we'll see in a little bit. Secondly, she warns him to watch out for wine, verses 4 and 7. It is not for kings, O Lemuel, it is not for kings to drink wine, nor for princes intoxicating drink. Least they drink and forget the law and pervert the justice of all the afflicted. Give strong strong drink to him who is perishing and wine to those who are bitter of heart. Let him drink and forget his poverty and remember his misery no more. The idea is, son, make sure you keep your wits about you and act wisely. In my personal life, I've mentioned it before, but it was fairly early in my Christian life that the Lord told me to give up alcohol. I'd have a beer once in a while. I was never a real big drinker, but God told me to give up alcohol. And I see that as something being to be essential especially in a leader's life, especially in a pastor's life. Because as I said before, if I'm under the influence of alcohol, then I'm not under the influence of the Holy Spirit. 
And if I'm not under the influence of the Holy Spirit, what happens? What happens if you call me and I'm not prepared for ministry? What, are you going to have a few beers at lunch? No, that's ministry is 24-7. What happens when it's 8 o'clock, 9 o'clock at night, I've kicked back three or four brewskis, and then you call your son, God forbid, got hit by a car. He's in the hospital. Call the pastor. Pastor, my son's in the hospital. They're going to operate. I need you to come down and pray for him. And either I've got to tell you, I can't. Why not? Well, I've had one too many beers. Or I just go, and what happens if I get pulled over and arrest? I mean, do you see the mess that comes up? There, there's, there's just a lack of preparation for the work of the Spirit. You're hindering what the Spirit wants to do. And again, you can take that through to the, the leader of a household and what kind of influence. And you've got to consider all of these things. I can't tell you how many counseling points that I've had in one of the root causes of the reason for that appointment having to take place is alcohol. And I'm not saying all alcohol is evil. There's not going to be anybody here that goes to hell because they've drinking alcohol. I'm not going to go there because the Bible doesn't go there. But I've never seen anything good about it. I've never seen anything good of coming from alcohol and drinking, and especially for the leaders. She knows, mom knows, that alcohol dulls the senses. It dulls judgment. And the king, the king has to be on at all times. And then think about it. Some of the people that maybe you had respect for, you lose respect for a leader that ends up getting in trouble because of alcohol faster than almost anything else. Since the name Lemuel is for God, he should not defile himself by being for drink. First Timothy chapter 3, verses 2-3, through three, a bishop, this would be a pastor, then must be blameless, the husband of one wife, temperate, sober-minded, a good, of good behavior, hospitable, able to teach, and not given to wine. Then lastly, she warns him to watch out for wickedness. Verses 8-9. through nine. Open your mouth for the speechless and the cause of all who are appointed to die. Open your mouth, judge righteously, and plead the cause of the poor and the needy. <clears throat> Each of one of these things is something that has been previously addressed by Dad. Mom's just kind of hammering the point home. Dad used it in regards to a woman of the night, and he spoke of alcohol, and many times through the book of Proverbs we saw that well, you're not to take advantage of the needy. We saw it spoken of back in the book of Exodus, in the book of Deuteronomy, as God is laying down the laws of the land. So it is something that is essential, something that is very important, <clears throat> excuse me, and obviously extends to all believers even today, those who are less fortunate you. How do you treat those who can do nothing for you in return? It's a good reflection of where you are at in your walk with the Lord Jesus Christ. And so, a king, a king should seek purity, he should act soberly, and he should rule compassionately. So, as this is a point that is mentioned time and time again, it bears looking into even one more time. A lack of care for the less fortunate becomes the advent of pride. Pride Pride is the advent of poverty. And so as I'm seeing those who are less fortunate, if I exalt myself over them, that's pride. 
pride sooner or later is going to cause my destruction. As I humble myself in the, in the face of those who are less fortunate than, than I am, then the Lord will use that to minister to them and to build me up. God's purpose in making himself king was for the ministry of the people. That's what God's concern was. So God inserted judges. God was always to be king. And God was to give his word to these judges so that when people would come to these judges to have a decision rendered, they would look up in the word of God. They would seek the Lord's will out. And so the Lord's will would go throughout the land. We wouldn't have anybody perverting the word of God or perverting justice or any of these things. God knew that if they had a king, then bad things would happen. If a king took his place, he would place his aspirations above what the Lord's aspirations were and what the people needed. Well, there came that time when the people of Israel can be just how a three-year-old can be. How come we don't have a king? Everybody else got one. Well, in 1 Samuel chapter 8, verses 10 through 22, it says, So Samuel told all the words of the Lord to the people who asked him for a king. And he said, This will be the behavior of the king who will reign over you. He will take your sons and appoint them for his own chariots and to be his horsemen, and some will run before his chariots. He will appoint captains over his thousands and captains over his fifties, and will set some to plow his ground and reap his harvest, and some to make his weapons of war and equipment for his chariots. He will take your daughters to be perfumers, cooks, and bakers. He will take the best of your fields, your vineyards, and your olive groves, and give them to his servants. He will take a tenth of your grain and your vintage, and give it to his officers and servants. He will take your male servants, your female servants, your finest young men, and your donkeys, and put them to his work. He will take a tenth of your sheep, and you will be his servants. And you will cry out in the day because of your king, whom you have chosen for yourself, and the Lord will not hear you in that day. Nevertheless, the people refused to obey the voice of Samuel, and they said, No, but we will have a king over us that we also may be like all the nations. Well, they were to be separate from all the nations, but they wanted to be like all the nations, and that our king may judge us and go out before us and fight our battles. And Samuel heard all the words of the people, and he repeated them in the hearing of the Lord. So the Lord said to Samuel, Heed their voice and make them a king. And Samuel said to the men of Israel, Every man go to his city. And he did. And all of these warnings, all of these things, as you look at all of the kings of Israel, even David, they all came to pass. They all came to pass, God's warning. Because who did they have as king? You know, they're wanting a king to go before them in their battles. They had God. They had God who was going to go before them. Remember how they came into that promised land? The Lord went before them. And as they followed, they were able to expel all the people in the land. They achieved great victory in him. And this king was going to take from them. God was wanting to give to them. And this king, this king, he was going to use them, but God wanted to bless them. And instead, they sought, well, they wanted to be just like the world was. And what happened? They became just like the world. Abraham Lincoln said, All that I am or hope to be, I owe to my angel mother. Abraham Lincoln understood the effect of his mother, the influence that she had upon his life. 
Now, this next part is very important. Proverbs chapter 22, verse 6. Most of you know it. Train up a child in the way that he should go. And when he gets old, he will not depart from it. Train up a child in the way that he should go. And that's, in essence, what Lemuel's mother has been doing. I'm sure she's been doing it all of his life. But again, final instructions in that training. And when he gets old, he will not depart from it. Now, what it doesn't say is, as soon as he leaves the house, he's going to be walking just as you said. That doesn't happen. All of our kids are going to have their testimony. They're going to have their own trial and error. We just want to keep it to a minimum. But nonetheless, they're going, some of them are flat out going to walk away, but when they get old, they will not depart from it. So just kind of keep that in the back of your mind. So, because as far as following mom's advice of seeking purity, acting soberly, and ruling compassionately, Solomon not only didn't follow this advice, he went to an extreme in each area in the other way. See, at some point, Solomon became right in his own eyes, as we all can easily do. He forsook his mother and father's advice, and he sought out his own will. And again, he sought out his own will according to how the world does. It felt good, and so he went in that direction. James warned us of this in James chapter 1, verses 14 through 16. It says, but each one is tempted when he is drawn away. That term for drawn away is the same term used for a baited trap. When he is drawn away by his own desires or lusts and enticed. That word enticed, word used for a baited hook. Then when desire or lust has conceived, it gives birth to sin. Sin would be just the hook. And sin, when it is full grown, brings forth death. Do not be deceived, my beloved brethren. Don't be brought in. Don't be lured in by a baited trap or a baited hook because the bait is going to look very attractive. See that big old juicy worm to a fish at some reason or whatever? That looks really good. It looks like a piece of filet mignon hanging from that hook to such a degree. You don't really even see the hook. I remember I was reading a book on Keith Richards of the Rolling Stones. It was a book on drugs, but they were using him as an example. And... At one point in his life, probably the majority of his life, if you see him, you, you understand what I said, he was addicted to heroin. And heroin it was that trap, you know, the high that you get from heroin and, and all. And they said one time he had gotten some heroin that was laced with, I don't remember the poison, cyanide or arsenic or something like that. And he was called, don't take it, don't take it. It's got poison in it. And he was so addicted And the bait was such a strong attraction that he took it anyway. And he got sick and he almost died. But he knew it was there. He he knew the the hook was there. But the bait was just so attractive. And we have to understand that through age, although we're not perfect people, but we have learned some lessons. And there's some areas in our lives that we know don't go there because it looks good on the outside, but there's a pretty sharp hook that's underneath all of that. Well, our kids, you're going to have to learn that. Solomon had to learn it. He had to learn it the hard way. Because as far as watching out for woman, he didn't do it. 1 Kings chapter 11, verses 3 and 4, he had 700 wives, princesses, and 300 concubines, and his wives turned away his heart. Turned away his heart from the Lord. For it was so when Solomon was old that his wives turned his heart after other gods. And his heart was not loyal to the Lord his God, as was the heart of his father David. What happened? 
Well, we just saw, do not give your strength to woman, women. He gave his strength to women. His strength was the Lord and his relationship with the Lord. There's certain things in the Old Testament that God forgave, and certain, but idolatry is something that God was staunchly against. Now, God was still gracious and merciful, didn't take the kingdom away from Solomon, but that was because of the great promises that he gave his father David. But it was just the next generation that the country was divided, and it was a few hundred years that it was going to completely fall. As far as women, didn't watch out for women. It became a snare to him. It was a bait that was revealed a hook. Secondly, as far as watching out for wine, in Ecclesiastes chapter 2, verse 3, he said, I searched in my heart how to gratify my flesh with wine while guiding my heart with wisdom and how to lay hold on folly till I might see what was good for the sons of men to do under heaven all the days of their life. I was reading the testimony of Phil Kage. If you don't know Phil Kage, he's a Christian artist uh, from the 70s, actually even into the 60s. I think he became a Christian in the early 70s. Amazing guitar player. Just He's probably either Christian or secular. He's probably one of the greatest guitar players that are alive today. He was saying when in the 60s, when he was in bands in the 60s, he kind of fell into that trap that you've heard of a lot of musicians in the 60s did. He started getting involved in drugs. And at some point, he dropped acid. And the interview, well, why did you drop acid? And he says, because I thought it might make me a better musician. And that's kind of what Solomon is saying here with the wine. And is, uh, where am I here? Um, I searched in my heart how to gratify my flesh with wine while guiding my heart with wisdom. And so I'm going to satisfy my flesh with wine, but I'll still keep my heart in the ways of wisdom. And maybe I can find a real happy medium here that will make me a great ruler. It didn't happen. Matter of fact, the wine, well, to go back to last Sunday morning's teaching, it's venom. It's venom. It enters in and it destroys. And as far as watching out for wickedness or being compassionate, 1 Kings chapter 12 tells us that Solomon placed a heavy yoke of taxation upon the people. Now a big part of training up a child in the way that he should go is equal parts instruction and equal parts trial and error. Again, when my kids got to be 18, I was thinking happy days are here again. They're gone, they're out of the house. Well, they didn't leave the house when they were 18. But when they left the house, one of them came back. One of them's still there. But nonetheless, it never ends. It never ends. You're you're always there, and you're always on. Because not just in their lives are you concerned, but now they've got the lives of your grandchildren. It's not fair. But nonetheless, it's still, you just never finish. It never gives up, it never stops. And so it's just a lifelong ministry, and you just kind of give in to that. And so there's equal parts instruction telling them, but there's equal parts trial and error as they take what you've told them, as they take the word of God and they go out and they try to deal with that and they try to deal with their flesh and they get heavy on the flesh side and they fail and you're there, you're there to guide them through the best that you can and as receptive as they are. Solomon, in the end, he realized the errors of his ways when he saw that there was no real substance to the things that he he, he sought after. Again, you get a young person, what do you, I want riches. Oh, I want women. I want wine. I want, you know, again, whatever, power. I want this and I want that. And, you know, you, you get a little taste of some of these things or you see other people partake of these things and you realize 
that there's no real substance in those things. Matter of fact, the people that achieve those things, the majority of them aren't happy. They don't find contentment in those things. And it was the same thing with Solomon. He came to the conclusion, vanity, vanity, all is vanity. All is just grasping for the wind. You achieve those things, but you don't really achieve anything of any substance. And then in Ecclesiastes, the next book, written by the preacher, we believe to be Solomon, he came to, conclu- <laughs> he came to a conclusion. Ecclesiastes chapter 12, verse 13. Let us hear the conclusion of the whole matter. And again, you have to realize the book of Ecclesiastes is Solomon looking at life from a worldly standpoint, under the sun, apart from God. And he says, okay, let's look at the conclusion on the whole map. Let's look, what is the meaning of life? And that's the, the question that he's answering here. And his answer to the meaning of life is, and this is in the Bible, this is the biblical answer. You know, people ask you, what is the meaning of life? It's right here. Fear God and keep his commandments, for this is man's all. For God will bring every work, God will bring all of the works of your life into judgment, including every secret thing, whether good or evil. That's the meaning of life. Now, we know how that's based upon Jesus Christ and coming into a right relationship with Jesus Christ. But Solomon, Solomon had to learn the hard way, as most kids do, as some of us had to do. Mom, mom had wisdom. Mom had the wisdom of her failure. And she had the experience of, of the king in the palace and seeing how God moved in Israel. And even though David had his failures, he was still a man after God's own heart and all of these things. But she wanted to see her son do well. She wanted to see her son do well. And she gave him this sound advice. But unfortunately, he had to learn it for himself. And if you could just grab him and slap him a few times and bring him into reality, it would be so much easier. But you've got to put those desires aside. And you've got to understand, how is God going to move in their lives? He's going to move in their lives the same way he moved in your life. Because is there anybody here who took sound advice and lived a perfect life? There's not one of us who did. How did we learn? You learn the same way that your kids are going to learn. You learn through trial and error. But you've got an advantage. Because again, I've made certain decisions in my life that I've seen played out in my grandfather and my father. Certain things are going to stop in my generation. Certain things are going to stop on my watch. It's not going to go any further. Because I've got an advantage that my grandfather didn't have and my father didn't have. I got Jesus. I've got Jesus and I'm filled with the Holy Spirit. And I've got what God is able to give. And if God has given to me, I need to give to my children. And I need to see that it's passed down to their children. And prayerfully, their children's children as well. Come back in 20 years and I'll be talking about my great-grandchildren, I pray, if God tarries. But nonetheless, we see Solomon... Solomon didn't listen. But don't look at your kids in this. Look at yourself, too. Look at yourself and take the advice that God has given you and apply it in your life and understand that these things are real and these things are practical. These aren't just heavenly stories that are out there. These are heavenly stories for God's earthly purpose in your life. Father, once again, we just thank you for your word. And Lord, especially as we go through, or as we have gone through, just got a little bit, more, one more chapter left, the book of Proverbs, we see the practicality of it. And Father, I pray that we would grasp on to these things. Lord, that we would continue to influence our children and those whom you have given us influence over. That Father, we would continue to hear these things and do these things ourselves as well. And Father, even as the kids tonight are being taught about Ezra and how Ezra traveled and was 
had the blessing of coming back to Israel and he made a determination that he was going to study God's word and he was going to do God's word, I pray, Father, that we would set that example in our lives, that we would be studiers and that we would be doers. And so, Father, we just thank you for this evening. We just give of ourselves to you that, Lord, you would be glorified through these li- through our lives. I pray, Father, for all who've come out tonight, that you would bless them, that you would go before them. I pray, Father, for the wise instruction that you give, that we would be receptive of it, and that, Father, we would see it in our lives, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. Will you all stand, please?